I'm Debbie George Addis. Welcome to my show, America Can We Talk. Today, we're going to talk about Super Tuesday wagon circling. Dr. Everett Piper of This Is Not A Daycare fame joins me. The coronavirus virus and China collapse. And finally, if we get to it and we have time, the ERA is really the CRA. And I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth. Well, welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie George Addis. Well, here we are, Super Tuesday, finally, in 2020, and talk about political fortunes changing overnight. Joe Biden, who finished, former Vice President Biden, who finished, I think it was like fourth in Iowa, fifth in Vermont, and a very distant second in the Nevada caucus, actually won his first primary, as we talked about a few days ago in South Carolina. And now, on the eve, or last night on the eve of Super Tuesday, many of the Democrats running for president, it seems like the whole party is deciding to coalesce around Joe Biden. I have my thoughts about that, I'll tell you in a moment, but I'll have some quick clips to play for you. Uh, We had, first of all, this is uh, Amy Klobuchar dropping out and endorsing Joe Biden. Here we go. We need... We need Texans, we need to unite our party and our country. And to do it, not just with our words, but with our actions. It is up to us, all of us, to put our country back together, to heal this country, and then to build something even greater. I believe we can do this together. And that is why today, I am ending my campaign and endorsing Joe Biden for president. Yeah. That was a very forced uh, smile you saw on her face. Uh, Next, very quickly, Buttigieg, uh, former candidate, uh, current mayor and former presidential candidate Pete Buttigieg. Here he is endorsing Biden. You know, when I ran for president, we made it clear that the whole idea was about rallying the country together to defeat Donald Trump and to win the era for the values that we share. And that was always a goal that was much bigger than me becoming president. And it is in the name of that very same goal that I'm delighted to endorse and support Joe Biden for president. And one more, even former candidate and Texan, uh, who became the empty suit candidate, Beto O'Rourke, also endorsed Biden. Here we go. Ladies and gentlemen, Tomorrow, March 3rd, 2020, I will be casting my ballot for Joe Biden. Okay, I'm going to just tell you about three quick points, and then we're going to get to our wonderful interview today with Dr. Everett Piper. Number one, obviously the Democrat powers that be decided we simply cannot have Bernie Sanders become the Democrat presidential candidate, so they are willing to coalesce around Joe Biden. These people, now Elizabeth Warren didn't, she said she's staying in, she's hoping to even work her way toward the nomination at the Democrat uh, convention, which is uh, an extremely long shot, but in any case, the big Democrat players are deciding we've got to get behind Biden, other endorsements came in, 
This is not because they think he'll be the best president. It's because they're very, very afraid of Bernie Sanders. Number two, those same Democrat powers that be will not let Joe Biden be the real candidate. And the reasons are multiple, but I'll mention a couple. Number one, and I never, you'll, you'll hear other hosts play a string of Biden gaffes and misspeaks. He, he said again this week, in fact, yesterday, he said, we all have to turn out tomorrow on Super Thursday. I mean, he makes many, many gaffes, but at the core of it, I think that he seems to be mentally slipping. I think many, many people in the Democrat party see that he's not as alert, as savvy, as articulate, as punchy, as on top of things as they need to have their candidate be. He's a safer candidate on paper to many Democrats. So they think, okay, he's safe. He's not a crazy socialist. So we'll let him be the front runner. He'll let him get all the way through the primaries today. But I think the Democrat powers that be behind the scenes are going to work very hard to make sure Joe Biden does not have the nomination, does not emerge from that convention with the nomination because they're worried about his mental clarity. But even more importantly, they're worried about all that is going about to come out relating to the Biden adventures in the Ukraine. Two things happened on that front. A court in the Ukraine, a Ukrainian court has ordered the government to look into the decision made to fire the Ukrainian prosecutor, which was done at the behest, at the request, at the demand, at the threat of Joe Biden, as he mindlessly announced on in a you know televised proceeding where he pointed out that he had arm twisted the Ukrainians into firing this prosecutor who was looking into the company his son uh, served on the board of. So we have Ukrainians are now looking into this, making him very, the court has ordered the government to look into it, find out what happened. And then uh, secondly, the Senate Judiciary Committee has announced they are soon going to be issuing subpoenas. They are going to be looking into the Ukraine Biden Burisma mess. And I can see many Democrats in Washington thinking we cannot have the entire campaign season bogged down with the Senate looking into what is now very clear to many Americans, the actual corruption with America and the Ukraine involving the Bidens and the and Burisma back in 2016, and not, as the Democrats falsely claimed, any sort of Trump wrongdoing with respect to the Ukraine. Final and quick point before we turn to our interview is this. The Ukrainian government and the American government and all that was going on behind the scenes in 2016, Burisma and Biden are just part of it. There are other players involved, people inside the State Department f helping to funnel money, American taxpayer dollars, over to organizations in the Ukraine that were not serving America's interests, that were disruptive, that were intentionally, these are Soros-funded organizations. My point is, it's not just Joe Biden who gets hurt if there really is discovery and a, a, an investigation and a clearing of the air of what happened between the Ukraine and America in 2016 is numerous people inside the Democrat Party and, frankly, the Republican Party in Washington, in the State Department and in the Congress who very much do not want to have an airing of the real corruption with the Ukrainians and America. And this is why, my friends, in my view, the Democrat Party is never going to let Joe Biden be their presidential candidate in 2020. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. Well, as I mentioned before we start, we have an interview starting uh, just Starting now, we have uh, Dr. Everett Piper. He has joined us on the show before. And when I introduced him earlier today, I said he's the one who 
really, uh, he was well-respected in academia before what I'm about to describe, but at once he was the, he was the college professor, I mean, excuse me, not, the university president who published something uh, in, in the student newspaper and eventually became a book called Not a Daycare. And basically it was a rebuke to the coddling of college students and the, the um, extreme protection of their feelings and treating them as though they, could, they were snowflakes who couldn't handle controversial dialogue and confrontation of ideas uh, in college campuses. So he wrote uh, the article first as president of Oklahoma Wesleyan University. He then wrote the book, Not a Daycare, The Devastating Consequences of Abandoning Truth. He now is retired from that position with Oklahoma Wesleyan. You can find him at DrEverettPiper.com. He's the weekly columnist at Washington Times and someone who is a well sought after expert on a variety of subjects in America relating mainly to academia, um, and our duty as Americans to provide a, a substantive, serious, quality education to our college students. So, Dr. Piper, welcome. Thanks for having me on, Debbie. It's always a joy. Love to have you on. Thank you so very much. So, your most recent column, I want to jump right in because I, I, I have a thicker stack of columns than we have time to discuss, but you had a column recently in the Washington Times, and again, for our listeners, you can find this column at our website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links, under list of links, you'll find this article linked. This is a Washington Times article, but it's entitled, How Modern Education Has Destroyed the Next Generation's Soul. That's a really, actually, very thought-provoking uh, caption, How Modern Education Has Destroyed the Next Generation's Soul. At some point during our conversation, I want to get to and read the quote you end your article with from C.S. Lewis on Mere Christianity about the idea that all your life long, you're either turning toward the heavenly creature or into a hellish creature. I'll read more of that later. But how is, Dr. Piper, how is American academia destroying the next generation's soul? Well, essentially, I go back in the article, and again, it's a it's a brief uh, op-ed. So I, I go back and I and I cite C.S. Lewis. Lewis told us that we are entering a time when we remove the organ and we demand the function. I'll say that one more time: we remove the organ and we demand the function. We geld the stallion and bid him be fruitful. Then Lewis talks about we created men without chests. We basically have uh, taken the heart out of the human being. We have men without chests, and there's nothing but this vacuous cavity in the center of their beings where they should be full of integrity and fidelity and the things that are right and virtuous and true. And what organization in our culture is responsible for all of this? It's education. Whether it be high school, whether it be the college, whether it be the university, we have spent decades teaching sexual promiscuity rather than civics and science. And why are we surprised that we now have an electorate that can't even tell you that a male is a male and a female is a female, that women are real, they're not leprechauns, they're not unicorns, they're not make-believe, they're not social constructs, they actually exist. Women are real. We don't even have an electorate that can tell you that any longer, and why? It's because of our schools. We have spent decades we have spent decades removing the organ, and now we demand the function. You're not going to have a virtuous people if you mock virtue. You're not going to have a moral electorate if you t keep telling them that morality is relative and not an objective fact. 
you're not going to have women's rights if you keep diminishing the ontological fact of the female. I could go on and on, Debbie, but the fact of the matter is we have indoctrinated generation after generation of students to believe essentially this. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as it works for you. This whateverism of our culture where our youth shrug and just say whatever is our fault. It's my industry's fault. It is the ivory tower's fault. Lincoln said what is taught today in the schoolroom will be practiced tomorrow in our government. Richard Weaver said ideas have consequences. The Apostle Paul said that when you start re- worshiping the creator, rather, excuse me, the created, rather than the creator, that you're giving o- given over to a debased mind. All of these things lead to what M. Scott Peck called the diabolical human mind, where we believe the lies, we become people of the lie, we believe our own deception rather than the reality before us. Who's responsible for this? It's your local schools. Okay, I want to. Uh, I love to point another finger of blame, just because. <laughs> I mean, I agree with you that it's coming from the schools, but much of what uh, de- what you're really getting at, in part, in, in great part, is the removal of some sense of ultimate truth from education, some sense of a source of morality and law that exists in life, and we at some point in America decided that that was inappropriate or unjustified uh, to be included in education. So we tried to remove the source of morality, the source of truth, and still somehow teach children that we were pursuing truth. I mean, so I want to get, I guess my question to start with is, this didn't happen, what you're describing having happened in academia, it didn't happen um randomly or it's not causeless there were people or a mindset pushing this divorcing of morality and reason from thinking do you agree with that oh absolutely it goes all the way back to dewey when 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 we gave over our educational establishment to dewey's philosophy of education we gave it over to a morality rather than a moral presumption Dewey wanted to expunge the moral conversation out of the academy, out of our schools, and therefore take a blank slate, a blank slate of a mind of our youth, and then impress upon that blank slate a new progressive agenda. And essentially that's what we have in all of our schools today because we embraced Dewey decades and decades ago, and now we're reaping the negative consequences of those terrible ideas today. But on this new progressive agenda, um, Dewey, or leftists, generally speaking, would argue they have won, at least as of now, they've won. And so this must be what they thought would be the better place for America to be. To We've, we've lost our, our rooting in uh, morality, our rooting in, in spiritual truth and biblical truth. We've lost all of that. And so if this was their mission, I mean, what is the purpose of their mission? Is it just because it makes young people more malleable, more controllable? What's the reason they would want to have wanted this? Power. It all goes back to power. If you can, if you can eliminate principles from any given culture or society, then somebody is going to have to fill the vacuum because of the uh, of the vacating of those self-evident truths that have been endowed to us by our Creator. If there is nothing that's self-evident any longer, and if there are no truths with a capital T, then something has to fill that vacuum that you've created. And it won't be principles any longer. It'll be the people in power. That's why you have people like Bloomberg, who is suggesting that all of those incredulous rubes, those deplorables, deplorables in the heartland, lack gray matter. 
I mean, he <laughs> actually said that. Yep. He actually said that we lack gray matter, and I'm sure you've already covered this in a previous show. He also was at the Sayad Institute in Oxford where he said that those of us who are among the intelligentsia, he called himself that. He said he's among the intelligentsia and that he's going to take it upon himself to try to educate and to try to indoctrinate an American society to do what it should do and live the way it should live. This is the man who's trying to take your right away to even drink a 32-ounce soft (laughs) drink because he knows better than you. This is a plutocrat who believes that he can buy his way to the White House and then impose his oligarchical views on all of culture because you and I lack gray matter. I thought he was amazingly audacious in both those remarks. You're referring to one about the gray matter that came out in the conversation about farming and how farmers was very anyone could farm. But those of uh, the elites who emerged on the coast are more able to handle it required more gray matter, which is referring to brains, obviously. But he's talking about the, the simple heartland people who farm aren't as smart as so I was amazed he was willing to go that far. And also, as you said, to describe himself as an elitist, although that was as though that was a badge of honor. It just seemed to me especially tone deaf in this time of President Trump's popularity to claim, no, I'm an elitist. Vote for me. Vote for my my people. Uh, Maybe I guess we'll find out today how much impact it has. But I thought it was very insulting to the American people. Oh, absolutely. But when you throw half a billion dollars with a B, half a billion dollars of your own money at a primary that's focused on today, Super Tuesday, not Super Thursday, Crazy Joe, (laughs) Super Tuesday. Today is Tuesday. I mean, Debbie, we've got a guy who can't even tell you, he can't recite one of the most famous phrases out of the Declaration of Independence. He botches that. He thinks Super Tuesday is Super Thursday. This man is losing it. And then we have this billionaire who's trying to buy the presidency, who has the audacity, to use your word, has the audacity, the arrogance, the presumption to tell the people that live in the heartland and grow our food that they're stupid and lack intelligence. And all it takes is to dig a hole in the ground, plant a seed and put water on it. And that anybody, and this is his quote, anybody could teach someone to do that. But we're going to move into a different society where he is going to guide us and direct us and coach us and to tell us how to live our lives because he's smarter than you and he's smarter than me. I hope the American people are insulted enough to rise up and say no. I could not agree more. And he is not connecting. I don't know. I guess people try to uh, attribute it or he tries to attribute it to his you know, he's just uh, so much smarter and he's, he's not your common Joe. He doesn't rub elbows with the guys who uh, go bowling on Friday night and drink a beer afterwards. That's not his people. But so he's not doesn't have that kind of catching personality, but he's really he's kind of running to, uh, to be a ruler. But I'm going to jump back to one thing on the way here today, getting to my show. I was thinking about your article. And one other point I wanted to ask you your thought about, but this whole shift in education where we've removed morality, we've, we, we've removed reference to the, the concept of truth existing separate and apart from our belief in it, it just simply exists, it actually ties into a, a growing problem in America which has to do with suicide and just the loss of a sense of uh, individual value and of purpose in life and I you know this drawing away from truth and, and drawing away the connection of man to some larger sense of purpose in life it tends to cause 
It can cause people to have a sense that they have no purpose, they have no identity, they have no real meaning, uh, reason to be here. They don't have a role in the world because they aren't tethered to some bigger thing. And I think it contributes, it does make people, as you were saying, more governable or more, but it makes them, it, it, it induces in society a, a broader sense of loss and sadness and, and lack of purpose. Do, do you agree that's a consequence of all this also? Oh, absolutely. Chuck Colson, um, I, I'm a Colson fellow, by the way, so I was blessed to be uh, under his tutelage for a year uh, back in 2007. Uh, Chuck taught us that all worldviews, whether it's Buddhist or Baptist or Anglican or atheist, whether it's Christianity or Islam, all worldviews answer four basic questions. The origin of man, the nature of man, the responsibility of man, and the redemption of man. All worldviews try to answer those questions. Let's start with the first one in response to what you just said, origin of man. If you get the answer to that question wrong, everything else is going to crumble thereafter. And we have taught generations after generations in the United States that our origin is nothing other than we've risen up out of the primordial soup and that you are no more morally significant than an amoeba, or a dog, or a pig, or a cat, or a cow, to quote PETA. A dog is a pig, a pig is a cat, a rat is a, is, is a boy, a boy is a rat. That is PETA. In other words, you don't have any significance over and above any other biological mass. And if we buy that lie, which we have as a culture because we've been forcing it upon our young people in our schools for decades, then we lose the exceptional nature of the human being, and there's no reason to try to guard the human being and protect the human being and to grant freedom and dignity and purpose to the human being. Here's something, and then I'll take a breath. We talk <laughs> about life, we talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What is happiness? It is the opposite of haplessness. Yeah. It is the pursuit of purpose, of dignity, of human exceptionalism that we are the Imago Dei, the image of God. We're not the Imago Dog. We're not an animal. We are better than that. We are created by God with dignity as individuals and as um, a reality that has the thumbprint of God on our soul. When is the last time anybody ever heard any of that in a public school or a public university? You don't. You hear the exact opposite. And that's why we've lost purpose, happiness, and the dignity of the human being in our culture. Yeah, I, I'm glad you didn't take a breath for as long as you did. You have, you always have such wonderful uh, insights, and I, I think it is a really important thing. I, you know, people lament the. I, this, I know suicide is not our topic for today, but people lament how could so many young people be committing suicide. People actually use the word epidemic, but it stems directly from having a sense of purpose and meaning in life. And so I think that the progressive mindset that has tries to tell America, you know, we're the ones who are saving you from darkness of old theology, of, you know, to limiting theology, of theology that is restrictive and prevents you from happiness. Really what's happened is exactly the opposite. By their forcing God and, and the sense of, of 
religion and our identity as children of God, as creations of God, forcing all of that out of the common public conversation in schools, universities, even in the, the proverbial village square, you end up with a society who, if that's their only source of learning, that's what you think is true. And then no wonder we have a society full of people struggling and, and, I, I mean, and without a, an ability to reintroduce the notion of God, you, you're going to continue to have that struggle with no meaning in life. Absolutely. And it's a schizophrenic culture because we wring our hands and we bemoan the coronavirus. We wring our hands and we panic over global warming and climate change. Now, you have to ask yourself this question. We have to ask AOC and we have to ask all the Democrats this question. What difference does it make to quote your, uh, your matriarch Hillary Clinton? What difference does it make to, for there to be a pandemic that takes human life? What difference does it make that there's going to be global warming and you're going to have certain people and populations that will suffer because of it? If the human being isn't exceptional, if the human being is no morally significant, has no moral significance greater than a dog, a pig, a cat, or cow, or an coronavirus, let the virus win. It doesn't make any difference. Now, they clearly don't want to go there. Why? Because in their heart, as the Apostle Paul tells us in Romans, the truth of God is written on every human heart, and even the most corrupt pagan knows that human beings should be protected. So this is a schizophrenic attitude from the left, because they want to elevate human rights, but yet they diminish human dignity. They want women's rights, but yet they tell you women aren't even an objective fact. Yeah. They want children to have rights, but then they want to kill those children when they are at their youngest and most vulnerable. They are constantly schizophrenic in their values and their worldview. They are, and I love all those examples you just gave. So, Dr. Piper, people turn to you all the time, look for answers, uh, thoughts. You've obviously thought deeply about academia, about what's necessary in order to actually educate and inspire young people. How do we turn American society back from this emptiness that is that you wrote about in your column? Again, your column, How Modern Education Has Destroyed the Next Generation's Soul. What's our answer as Americans? Uh, parents need to stop sending their kids to these institutions that teach this problem. You need to sacrifice the boat, the new car, the new house, and you need to invest in a school that actually teaches truth with a capital T, not postmodern constructivism. That's the first thing. Stop sending your kids off to these institutions that teach this problem. Send your kids to a school that actually believes that truth exists. Second, we need to recognize that we have to get a spine and get courage and step into the market square of ideas and speak the truth with courage and boldness. Uh, Bonhoeffer, not to speak is to speak, not to act is to act. Silence in the face of evil is evil itself. We must speak, we must act. Silence is not acceptable. It, you're, you're guilty by omission if you do nothing. Number one, send your kids to a school that teaches the truth. Number two, be courageous be steadfast be courageous always abounding in the work of the lord first corinthians uh, i think that's fifteen fifty-eight, if i remember right okay I, first of all many of the passages you're quoting i love it's kind of funny our kids went to an episcopal school and i, I had a bunch of the kids with me <laughs> this isn't a side but it's kind of a funny thing i had a bunch of the kids in the car with me and we went through um i think it's in and out and they had the bottom of their their um the uh, drink cups they had written inside 
1 John 3.16. And so I had this kid, I said, just out of curiosity, I said, who knows what this is? One kid goes, I do, I do. And he, and he quoted, he, you know, he gave the, the passage. But I was telling the headmaster of this Episcopal school about it. And he said, it's okay. Episcopalians, we don't memorize the verse and the number. But we know the, the, what they're teaching. But I, I love when you actually go back. You and, and many others go back uh, to scriptures, give specifics. And, and on your point about... Um, the idea that you have to be willing to speak up. Yeah, we can all stop sending our kids to schools that don't teach the right thing. We can stop donating to alma maters, our own alma maters, if they're not teaching the right thing. But there's this thing about speaking up in the public square. And so often I find when someone does speak up, even if there's some conversation going on, a lot of people are thinking, thinking to themselves, well, I don't really agree with this. And one person speaks up and says, actually, I don't agree. I think there really are two genders, two sexes. I think there really are only boys and girls. And I think these people who are confused about their gender, they may need love, they may need support, they may need help, but they don't need us to agree with them. You'll often find so many other people, if someone just speaks up first, many others will follow. You found that too? No question. No, no question. And you find that even atheists, and you find that, uh, I mean, I was... I know I need to be brief here. Adam Carolla show, an atheist. He agrees with a lot of what you and I just discussed. When I was on his show, he was fascinated with this idea of an objective truth as the measuring rod outside of those things being measured so that you can do some measuring because Adam Carolla recognizes he's losing his freedom at the hands of this monster that he and the rest of his culture has created. Love it. And on that note, friends, if you had not heard our interviews in the past with Dr. Piper, we're speaking to Dr. Everett Piper. You can find him at Dr. Just Dr. Everett, E-V-E-R-E-T-T, Piper.com, and on Twitter, at Dr. Everett Piper. So, sir, it's always fun. Races by when we have you join us. Thank you so much for joining me today. All right. Blessings. You take care. Thank you, sir. Thanks for having Okay, so love having him. Okay, folks, I want to turn to one other story. So here, I told Matt, the wonderful producer here, that I want to get two other stories. We'll see if I can, but I want to do a little bit of a follow-up um, on the coronavirus. We talked about the coronavirus yesterday, many aspects of it. I got a couple of notes from people asking about the, I made reference to the fact that in China, after the government was fully aware of the coronavirus being loose in the town of Wuhan, Actually, after they were aware that it was lethal, that it was extremely contagious, that they didn't have it under control, they didn't have a plan, they, the Chinese government, permitted to go forward a competition in Wuhan where they were going to have people attend the world's biggest potluck. It was intended and held for the purpose of having a uh, to breaking the Guinness Book of World Records and the largest potluck. So it was 40,000 families. So that's 40,000 families, over 120,000 people, cooking at home, bringing food together, you know, plotting all out, eating each other's food. If you were trying to spread coronavirus, you couldn't do a better job. Several people. Uh, after the show, emailed or put messages up saying, hey, I can't find that story. So today, on AmericaCanWeTalk.org, on my website, 
on the homepage under shows, drop down list of links. I put the link in to the, a New York Times story. New York Times reported on it right when it happened. And it was early on in the coronavirus where they were saying, you know, this doesn't seem very smart, but you know, we don't really know how this virus thing is gonna go. It was early January that, or mid January when the story ran. And so I wanted to say two things about that. Number one, you can find this story in the New York Times link on my website. And second is, it is interesting because listeners were saying to me, hey, I Googled, I checked, I can't find this story. I wanna point out why you couldn't find this story. This does not reflect well on the Chinese government, does not reflect well on the socialists who run the Communist Chinese Party. And therefore, many people in media, for a variety of reasons, some political, didn't want to run with the story, didn't want to embarrass China, but the story is there and you can read it on my website. Uh, that, but other extremely important follow-ups on, on the coronavirus. One is that yesterday we talked about the idea that the left is politicizing this. And I mean politicizing Nancy Pelosi out with some obnoxious comments immediately afterwards, trying to swoop in and take charge. And she wants to be the one. She's going to tell everybody what you know Congress is going to do, you know, because she can't let President Trump be President Trump and because she has to be the center of attention. In any case, I want to tell you, though, nothing I said yesterday was intended to imply that we aren't going to have a problem here. I think we have the best healthcare system in the world. Democrats trying to destroy it through Medicare for all. But right now we have the best public health system in, this, in the world and we are focused and doing everything we can. However, there have already been impacts in America. I want to just tell you a few of them. You know, we had, we talked yesterday about this uh, China supply chain, about how too much of America's medicines are made in China. So you have a potential threat to American supply chain because China, we'll get to a moment, is pretty much shut down. When I finish telling you in a moment what's going on in China, it will cause you to realize how serious a problem is in China. But here in America, just to quickly tell you some examples of the way the supply chain is impacting America. Uh, they, one expression people are using was a $3.6 trillion wake-up call. We have, for example, a 9.4%, so almost 10% decline in travel agency ticketing, a 25% drop in container volumes at the Port of Los Angeles, one of the biggest ports in America, the Port of Los Angeles, 25% drop. This ultimately obviously translates into jobs and layoffs. I mean, it's these have consequences in the American economy. 15% of Apple, Apple's revenue, Apple the company, 15% of Apple's revenue comes from products made in China. Over 200,000 flights to and from China so far canceled. 17,600 products, different products that Procter & Gamble sells rely on products made in China. 85, get this one, 85% of the world's toys, children's toys made in China. Understand we have serious impacts on the American economy. But, and so, you know, it, it's going to be, I mean, a possible silver lining. You never want to have a silver lining related to an epidemic, but it may cause, and it should cause American policymakers and business leaders, industry leaders to say, hey, wait a minute, you know what? We got to get on board with America first. We got to get on board with the effort to bring more manufacturing home. We're not just because we're going to have shortages as China struggles through the coronavirus, but because we want to be in charge of quality control. We want to be in charge of how medicines are made, who inspects them, who works there, how healthy are the people working there, 
we need to be in charge of not just medications, which are one huge arena, but computers, cell phones, all sorts of things we simply rely on every day in American life. It's a great wake-up call. There was actually a story, I think Wall Street Journal or someplace had a story about how back as far as 2015, before coronavirus was even on the scene, we had some executives inside Apple saying to the you know grand poobahs, the, the leaders of Apple, we ought to not be relying so much on just China. We ought to be maybe diversifying where we go for manufacturing. Uh, they were ig not ignored, maybe isn't fair. They, their concern was not addressed, was not honored, and the company ignored it. But right now we're in a place, our dependence on China is coming back to bite us. I want to tell you one last story about China, just to understand how bad things are there. Before I tell you the story, the information I'm about to tell you came from an article by a guy named Charles, and he has, you know, the middle name, he goes by Sam Fadis, F-A-D-D-I-S. And I want to tell you about him briefly. He's a former CIA operations officer, 30 years experience in the conduct of intelligence operations in the Middle East, South Asia, and Europe. And uh, just to understand how serious and big a player this guy was, his last assignment prior to retirement in May of 2008 was as head of the CIA's Terrorist Weapons of Mass Destruction Unit. So, serious, serious guy wrote an article about what life is really like in China right now because of the coronavirus. To start with, in Wuhan and probably other areas, People live, many people live in these massive government-constructed high-rises. Think the projects in America because government-constructed, government-assigned. So in China, where you have no freedom, people live in these massive, very high high-rises and literally having within one unit, one apartment, not just a husband and wife, but likely extended family, so they're crowded. Once this coronavirus got out of control, what was happening and the Chinese government trying to, you know, protect their other citizens have quarantined these high rises. So people living in these high rises are not supposed to leave. They've been quarantined, forced to stay in. So they have pictures in Wuhan of people climbing down the from a high level in these high rises, the outside, I assume they're fire escape stairways, trying to get out because they need to get out. They need to get out and get food. They need to get out to get help, but they are stuck inside, stuck in these buildings, quarantined by their government, protected, of course, by their military. So these people are sneaking out at night. They had, I'm obviously not gonna show it, but they had a guy trying to sneak out, high rise coming down the ladder and fell. So he either, you know, died or was paralyzed. You have people, this is the way the communist mindset of the government works in, in China. The, you know, we care about power, we care about our image, we care about keeping production going, so we're just going to force people into the, who live in these buildings to just stay there. This is the, we don't care about human life, we don't value human life, we value power, we value communism, we don't care about people, so this is what's happened to them. Next story. This guy, again, this Sam Fadas, who wrote this article, again, you can find the story on my website, americacanwetalk.org, on the homepage, under show, drop down, list of links. This is a story um, where he's talking about what's actually happening inside China. He talks about, he had a figure in here saying 80% of the factories are shut down. They're simply not working. 
They can't have people coming to work who are sick, infecting others. People are afraid to go out because they don't want to be near other people who are sick. So they have this paralyzed society. They have, um, he, he actually, before I get in more detail, he describes the Chinese Communist Party is not the vanguard of freedom as they're uh, alleged to be. They're not, the society in China is not liberalizing as many in the establishment in America wanted us to believe that China really wasn't so harsh, it's liberalizing, it's open up. No, Xi Jinping, the current leader of the Communist Party of China, is a hard-nosed communist. This is what hap is happening in his country. They're not liberalizing and the people do not support their government. They simply have no way to fight back because they have no weapons, because they have no political freedom. They have no freedom of speech. They have no freedom of press. They don't even have freedom of religion. They have no freedom in communist China. So moving on, um, the Chinese economy is at a standstill. They talked about 80, yeah, here it is, 80% drop in industrial activity and traffic. They also have, you know, we talked about before in China, they have rounded up some of the Muslim extreme, Muslim uh, population and moved them over into what you can only call concentration camps. They might call them re-education camps, but they're people pulled away from society because they're Muslim. And the Chinese government hates religion, as all communists do, hates religion. And so they've been living in the, they're trying to kind of, uh, you know, brainwash Islam out of their Muslim population in China, living in these horrific circumstances, concentration camp style circumstances. And now that the workers in Wuhan are too sick to go to work to begin manufacturing, the government is taking these Muslim, essentially prisoners, Muslim people have been forced already once to move into concentration camps, taking them, moving them over to factories that have been shut down by the coronavirus spread and forcing them to work in those factories. So they are trying to force people to work. Um, they have, uh, have 80,000, and the term for the Muslims who've been moved into concentration camps in China are the Uyghurs, U-I-G-H-U-R-S, the Uyghurs or Uyghurs. They have been moved into forced working in these concentration camps. Uh, they are now talking about video uh, coming out of Wuhan. Um, people, uh, the night air, you know, the, it's quiet at night. And so these high rises filled the night air sounds filled with screams of desperation as an entire city waiting to die. No one's coming to rescue them. No one's coming to help them. They talk about having incinerators incinerators working so that they are able to hide the number of people who have died from coronavirus. Uh, they're talking about incinerators capable of burning 30 bodies a day. They have 40 incinerators working 24 hours a day in Wuhan alone. I am sorry if what I told you just now is grotesque, it's upsetting, it, it is grotesque and upsetting, but it really is a little bit of a window on the difference between communism and freedom. The communist government dedicated to preservation of its own power, completely not inspired in the slightest by the idea of man having the right to live in freedom, man having God-given right to live as you do in this country, to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The government is about containing the damage, hiding the damage from the world, 
not caring one little bit about the suffering of the people. And in fact, they actually, the, what this guy got around to saying, one conclusion I want to just get around to was there was uh, discussion about whether or not in this, this problem in Wuhan, as it got worse and worse, is ultimately going to lead to the downfall of Xi Jinping and the Communist Party. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself. We're not there yet. But when you have a country desperate, hungry, no assistance coming from the government, no ability to get out and get food. You know, there are going to be uprisings in China. They've already watched what was happening um, in, in Hong Kong with people rebelling against the Chinese government and not wanting the repression China was trying to bring to Hong Kong. You may have, we may be in the path, and there are other experts saying this about China, we may just be in the path of finding a way out for the Chinese people out of the repression of the communist government moving toward the idea of freedom we're so blessed to have in this country. And this is kind of tying back to my first segment in the show today. This is why so many Americans who have any sense of world history, any comprehension of what Cuba is like, what China is like, what Venezuela was like and still is, any worldliness at all are completely disgusted outraged by the idea that Bernie Sanders is a serious contender for president of the United States. He speaks in glowing terms about Castro. He is, although he uses the term Democrat socialist, Bernie Sanders about himself, he is a communist. He is a guy when he's done telling you everything he's going to do to you, to the American economy, to the producers, to the businesses, to the people who are successful in this country. This is not a guy trying to share and be loving and maybe suggest a little wider social safety net to help people in need. This is a guy with that same tyrannical mindset as many communist leaders have in China. Bernie Sanders, scary, scary guy. Even the Democrat Party is realizing we cannot have him be our candidate, so they're working to get him out of here. So, friends, I'm going to put off this story. I, I wanted to spend some time, sometime soon, uh, telling you a little bit more about the Equal Rights Amendment. And to be clear, I went to a, a conference last week in which they had a, a couple really great panels talking about the Equal Rights Amendment. And that is being, again, pushed by leftists in this country, women wanting to have a constitutional amendment that basically says women have the same rights as men. It was really enlightening to hear these expert panelists talk about what they see the real motive is of the ERA. And I'm going to talk about that in another show. But I'm going to save it for them because I don't want to give it some superficial coverage today. I'm going to wait until I have more time to dive into the story. So where we got to go right now, because we're out of time or nearly out of time, I'm going to turn to, as I do at the end of every show, and tell you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we started today, our happy show today on Super Tuesday, and the Democrats are wagon circling. The Democrats Super Tuesday results are just a distraction. The Democrat ruling class has decided Sanders' communism is not viable. Therefore, Klobuchar, Buttigieg, and Beto told to endorse Biden. Biden can be a placeholder until the Democrat convention. In my opinion, he will not be the nominee because of mental decline and the Ukraine scandal. Look for someone like Hillary Clinton, Michelle Obama, or some other as yet unknown outsider to emerge from the broker Democrat convention. It will not be Bloomberg because he doesn't connect with the American people. The New York City mayor position could be bought by Wall Street billionaire, but the U.S. presidency cannot. This Trump's re-election 
prospects have never been higher. Next on the coronavirus and China collapse. The flaws of the China Colossus are being exposed. Waste management systems and hygienic habits still primitive, and these help spread disease. This is what we talked about this yesterday, happening in China. Spreading of disease in China because of very poor hygiene habits and expectations. An atheist government has nothing but brute force to turn to in times of crises. Lies eventually collapse. The Communist Party of China Chinese Communist Party cannot lie its way into resuming factory production if there are no healthy workers to operate them. Results? Near economic shutdown, quarantine apartment buildings, which are essentially prisons, mass cremations, unreliability of all reporting data. Look for a major global industry rethinking in America of China sourcing and major new manufacturing operations in the U.S. and elsewhere best result for the Chinese people of freedom movement emerges. And I got to tell you folks, I would cheer that freedom movement on. I'm sure you would too. So my friends, this was my show for today. America Can We Talk. I invite you, encourage you to email me. You can email me at americacanwetalk at gmail.com. Please do all the social media things you know to do. Follow me on Twitter, subscribe on YouTube, like my Facebook page, follow my Facebook page, comment, love your comments, love the American political conversation about preserving this most extraordinary experiment in human liberty ever to bless this earth, and that is America. And that's why I talk about my show every day, preserving this precious country, because America matters. I'll talk to you next time. Can you America, can we talk truth about America? Can you hear